I'm Erin Holt, and this is the Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we lean into intuitive functional medicine. We look at how diet, our environment, our emotions, and our beliefs all affect our physical health. This podcast is your full-bodied, well-rounded resource. I've got over a decade of clinical experience, and because of that, I've got a major bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model. They're both failing so many of us. But functional medicine isn't the panacea that it's made out to be either. We've got some work to do, and that's why creating a new model is my life's work. I believe in the ripple effect, so I founded the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school and mentorship for practitioners who want to do the same. This show is for you if you're looking for new ways of thinking about your health and you're ready to be an active participant in your own healing. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. I would love for you to follow the show, rate, review, and share because you never know whose life you might change. And of course, keep coming back for more. Okay. Yay. We're back. And I've got Rachel on with me, our lead practitioner. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Erin. And we're doing it. Uh, we are doing it, a mold episode. We I've always been really hesitant to talk too, too much about mold on this show because it can scare people, myself included. It's one of those things that like when I first was getting into functional medicine for my own health and first learning about functional medicine, it was like the options were uh, unlimited with all of the different things that could be wrong with me. And mold was one of those like big, scary things lurking in the corner. Um, and it can be, it absolutely can be. And we want to kind of give you all, uh, the opportunity to help to assess and discern is mold something that I should be concerned with. Um, that's kind of like the nature of today's show. We're not building biologists. We're not mold experts. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about this from a health perspective, like when to suspect mold, what to do about it, how to support your body, things like that. But I mean, we get quite a few clients in the clinic that are dealing with mold and Rachel has a really, really good track record with getting them to feel better. So we wanted to bring this subject to light. You ready? I'm ready. All right. (laughs) Um, Also, I know that um, people I did, we recently purchased a lake house in Maine. Um, not me and Rachel, my Scott and I, (laughs) and we had some like potential mold problems. We almost didn't buy it. So I, and I know I I shared that, that story on Instagram and a lot of people have been asking for updates. So I will kind of weave that into the conversation too. Like where we netted out, we ended up purchasing the house. So I can kind of talk through how I made that decision. Um, But even before we get into the nitty gritty of mold, we always believe in getting your house your health house in order first before doing deep dives on some of these more like high level things like mold investigation. And as you'll learn, as Rachel talks, you'll see that a lot of mold reactions can overlap with a lot of other health conditions and a lot of other symptoms that might not be coming from mold. So like, let's say you have a stuffy nose, maybe it's mold, maybe it's something else. Um, So if that is something that you're working on, just getting your health house in order, then we invite you into the Functional Nutrition Collective, which is our annual subscription. You'll get access to all of our nutrition and functional medicine programs, including live classes and workshops every single month. 
if you like the podcast, you will absolutely love the collective because it's it's a curated education portal. There's a lot of frameworks to follow and you have a lot of support and resources and it's just a really bitchin community for holistic health. So definitely join us there. I feel like everybody should be part of that collective because it's just like such a good vibe. Um, but let's let's get into the mold. So Ra- Rachel, you're our resident molded gal. So why don't you take it away? <laughs> Thank you for that kind introduction. Um, basically, we see, like Aaron mentioned, I see a lot, we see a lot of mold, moldy patients in our practice, um, especially in my one-to-one work with patients. So we just wanted to share a little bit more information about it to spread awareness. Um, the key thing to keep in mind is that mold produces mycotoxins. So we might refer to them as mycotoxins, we might refer to them as toxins on this call, but this is basically how mold protects itself. And these toxins are really inflammatory and they can have really damaging effects on our health. And so keeping that in the back of our mind, we sometimes refer to mold as a master antigen because it can just elicit this really potent inflammatory response. Um, It can create this like chronic allergic reaction in the body. It can sensitize our mast cells and overall um, just like can wreak havoc on our health in general. For somebody who might not be familiar with what a mast cell is, can you just explain that a little bit like high level? Yes. So mast cells, they are, well, they're part of the immune system really simplified, but mast cells, they can release a handful of different inflammatory compounds. One of them is histamine. So histamines can create a lot of those allergy type of reactions. And so uh, we think about mast cells being involved in a lot of those allergic responses. Yeah. And that's why it's not uncommon to see a lot of histamine type symptoms and histamine reactions when somebody's dealing with a mold issue. Um, So speaking of symptoms, what are some symptoms that you would associate with mold illness or mold toxicity or just ongoing mold exposure? My disclaimer about this too is a lot of these symptoms can mimic other conditions because mold is creating this like generalized inflammation in the body. So a lot of people with mold or mycotoxin illness, they look, they look normal. Um, respiratory conditions, whether that is like a post-nasal drip, uh, chronic stuffy nose, asthma even, respiratory issues, tingling fingers, brain fog, fatigue, nausea, headaches, skin-related issues, whether that's like eczema or just like hives, irritation, like things that don't seem to like totally make sense. Maybe there's no rhyme or reason. It's not like where you're at in your menstrual cycle. It really isn't influenced by what you ate or not. Mold and mycotoxin illness is also can be associated with autoimmune conditions. And then what I've seen a lot is um, weight gain or some of that weight loss resistance where patients are like, I don't know what happened. I just like moved into this house. Nothing else changed. And like I've gained 25 pounds in the last year. I'm eating the same. I'm moving my body. Stress is the same. And so sometimes those can be some context clues as well. Um Mycotoxins are neurotoxic, and so we can see issues with recall and memory, cognition as well. Those can be a little bit more serious and gnarly too. Yeah, like that the brain fog is a big one or just like mm-hmm. like 
cognition feels kind of funky and clunky and slowed down, um, like crazy headaches. Or I even had a friend who was dealing with bad mold stuff and like her neck got really stiff too. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes, if you know, like the kind of when you think about a stiff neck and headaches, like you're immediately going to go to like Lyme disease, I think kind of classic. Um, but there, Lyme and, and mold have a lot of overlap in terms of symptoms. So that's why somebody can kind of just like get stuck in this like... I mean, we'll talk about testing for all of this and like, you know, like you said, context clues, but some people can get stuck in this like chronic loophole of like, is it Lyme? Is it co-infections? Is it mold? And like people just kind of get dumped into this category of like all that stuff. Um, that's not terribly uncommon to see, unfortunately. Um, and then you, I, I had mentioned the nose, but that's like a, that is always a little red flag for me because, um, those, the, the mold can be colonized in the sinuses. And so if you just have ongoing sinus infections, you're just like, yeah, I'm just, that's just like, that's who I am. I'm just somebody who always gets sinus infections. Mold might be something to think about. Like, you know, there might be a situation, either you're getting exposed or you had exposure in the past. Um, and, so that's just something to think about, right? Like how the mycotoxins can colonize in different parts of the body. And I've worked with some patients where we've had to do like very specific um, nasal rinses and sprays to treat the mold that had colonized in their sinuses. There's testing for that as well and swabs that you can use. And mold can also colonize in the respiratory tract. And I've even had patients with EOE, the eosinophilic esophagitis, um, where there was a big correlation. It, it turned on basically when she was living in a home with water damage. And so by treating her for mold, she saw almost a complete resolution in her EOE. It's not always that simple. Um, it took us a long, it took us a while to get there, but yeah, it can colonize in the gut as well, just lots of different parts of the body too. And I think that's just a good clinical pearl for any of the practitioners listening to. Like I'm sure just a lot of like light bulbs went off for some practitioners. Um, all right. So this is where I'm like, you know, I get nervous about talking about this too much because again, if you have a propensity to be afraid or have a lot of health anxiety, a lot of health fear, the more we start to talk about this, the more you're like, my, the world is out to get me. My environment is out to get me. Nothing is safe. And I, I say that from a place of love because that, you know, that was a place that I occupied for a while. And I want to make it really clear that you can't avoid mold. Like it's in our environment, mold, mildew, it's going to be in our environment. It's outside, you know? And so the, the intention is not to just live in a bubble and avoid all mold all the time. Um, but we also have to understand that for some people it's problematic and there's a certain percentage of the population where it's like really more problematic than others. Can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah. So genetic susceptibility plays a big role in how responsive your body is going to be to mold. The thought is there's about 25% of the population that carries a gene that really impairs their ability to detoxify mold and mold just creates this very intense reaction in their bodies. Um, I was working with this patient where she was living in a house with, I think, five other family members. And she had these awful skin issues, awful migraines and headaches. And it ended up that she tested positive for mold. Nobody else in her home felt sick at all. And they were like, are, are you sure it's mold? Like, are your doctors, are your clinicians like... <laughs> onto something? Like, are they valid? Like what's going on here? And, um, 
she ended up like the solution was she stayed at a family member's house for a week and literally on day two of just getting out of the home nothing else changed her migraines went away completely and so everyone else in the home totally fine she was the only one affected and it led to them remediating remediating the home treating the home and like she's so much better for it but exactly what you said like sometimes only a percentage of people are affected so like we start to question, are they making it up? Is this in my head? What is going on? That it, and I think these are the people who like get labeled as hypochondriacs or overly sensitive, or you're making things up. It's not really that bad. And it's hard not to feel like you're going crazy when you're, you know, especially if you suspect mold and you're like, I'm the only person that doesn't feel well here. And it's not, that's not always how it goes down. I was, I'm thinking of a client who did move into a house and we'll, you know, we'll talk through like context clues, like Rachel said, who did move into a house and she experienced weight gain. That was like the big thing, like rapid, significant weight gain almost overnight. But her children experienced um, different symptoms. So like everybody had these weird symptoms and they were all different from each other. So that's like another, like something's going on with the house. Um, that's like another thing. And then I love how you said she left the house and her symptoms got better that, cause that's like a little quick and dirty. If you're like, gosh, I don't really have the money right now to invest in a mold test, or I'm not really sure you're, you know, we're always so conscientious of people's budgets with what test to run and, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of like a little like quick and dirty way to test. If you remove yourself from the environment, your home or a workplace, and you feel better, hey, there's probably something going on in the environment and that's something to be aware of. The other thing that I will say in addition to um, genetics, because if you are like, oh gosh, what if I'm that, what, you know, that 25%, am I just screwed? We always want to take into account how full your bucket is. And by that, I mean like what other toxicants are you being exposed to? How are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you moving? Are you drinking water? Are you getting sunlight? We always have to come back to the basics. Even with something like a mold illness, we still have to do the foundational building blocks to make sure that we're reducing your exposure to anything that's going to disrupt your immune system or just cause you to feel not so great like that's still ground zero even with mold absolutely all right my athletes and my fitness freaks are you getting enough electrolytes you kind of need them they're kind of a big deal you lose a lot through sweat but just don't be replacing them with any of the junk no sugar no coloring no artificial ingredients no fillers no yuck you need Element. It's not only delicious and wicked convenient, mixes in water super easily, but it also contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. You can get a free sample pack that's eight single-serve packets for free with any Element order when you go to drinkelement.com forward slash Funk, the deal's only available through my unique link to thank you for listening to the show, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash F-U-N-K. You can try it risk-free. So I'm a big fan of rituals. I think they can help us feel connected, grounded, and anchored, which is so much of what we need right now. My current evening ritual is to make my mellow magnesium drink and listen to a Manifest Your Health meditation. 
Ned's Mellow Magnesium is a powerful daily magnesium supplement. It's literally my favorite magnesium. It has amino acids, trace minerals that promote memory, mood, brain function, stress response, nerve and muscle health, and sleep. The majority of American adults are deficient in magnesium, which is a mineral that's essential to hundreds of functions in the body. This is one of those nutrients we absolutely burn through during periods of stress, and low magnesium can contribute to even more feelings of stress and anxiety. Mellow also contains GABA and L-theanine, which have anti-anxiety effects. Lavender berry is my favorite flavor, and it is very pretty. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code F-U-N-K at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Um, Okay. So context clues. When do we start to think about mold toxicity? Because you and I both were like, not just starting to work with somebody and we're like, let's test for mold. This is not something that like everybody gets tested for mold all of the time. So when do we think about, gosh, this might be part of somebody's health problem? I would say it's always so, so important to complete a really thorough health history because like I mentioned, um, sometimes people do just move into a new home and they feel sick or they start working in a new environment and they feel sick. It's not always that simple though. Um, we always want to think about what led up to their symptoms. Do they know that there's been exposure? Sometimes I'm asking my patients who present with a lot of skin issues or histamine issues or just recurrent infections. I'm like, Hey, do you have any knowledge of like water damage in a home that you've lived in in the past or any issues with that? Did you live somewhere where there was like a lot of flooding or things along that those lines? Um, I have this patient who she ended up being positive for mold. She was so positive, so certain that she didn't have mold in her home because her home was a new build. Mm. She's like, there's no possible way that there could be an issue here. And it ended up, it turned out, I guess when they were screwing in the towel rack, one of the like screws went into a water pipe, not like burst it, but this like very small, slow, gradual trickle in this new build, like led to this crazy mold overgrowth in her bathroom. Um, And yeah, that was like, it was just interesting. Um, That's where testing can be really helpful. Um, I also like to think about mold toxicity when people are not responding to treatment like we would have expected when we've ruled out other potential causes for their symptoms. When, like you mentioned, they're doing the foundations, their diet's in a good space, their gut is all cleaned up, they're eating low inflammatory diet, they're managing their stress. It's like, why is this not moving the needle like we would have hoped for? Yeah. And even like, you know, you've got, you've done a lot of like gut treatments on somebody and like, or like, you know, just things that aren't clear, they're not getting better. It just doesn't make sense. That's when you're you're kind of like, all right, we gotta, we might need to look at like the toxin mold thing now. Um, I, I'm thinking of that same client who had the rapid weight gain. And like that isn't, and that's why she started working with me is like something's not right here. I'm eating really well. I'm moving my body. I'm exercising a lot. Like none of this is making sense. And she just kept gaining weight and she was having a lot of blood pressure issues as well. And so for like, she kind of went the, the whole conventional medicine route for the blood pressure, for the weight gain. She was like doing everything by the book. When she came to me, we started 
with the usual suspects. We looked at diet. We looked at hormone stuff. We looked at thyroid stuff. We found something going on with her thyroid. But even with that, like she was getting better, um, but not all the way. She started working with a naturopath to get on thyroid um, uh, prescription medication and like still nothing moved. And it, it was at that point that I'm like, so like, should we have the mold conversation now? And she's like, well, funny, you should say that because, and then that's when it kind of like started to come out that she, there was mold exposure. She had just moved houses. So she was in a really good place to do this because she wasn't still living in the mold. And that's, you know, that was like the next step. So we kind of covered all of the basics and she was doing everything right. And it was like months of her doing things right. And there was, we just knew that there was something else going on. So I feel like that's when kind of mold can, can swoop in. Oh, definitely. And at the same time, we always want to keep in mind, like what's going on with temperature, where are they geographically located? Is humidity an issue? Uh, my former clinic had a, a location in Florida. Florida, I mean, there's hurricanes, there's so much humidity, so much moisture. Um, also people like living in Hawaii. We saw just a lot more positive mold tests when I had a heavy Florida patient base just because of the environment. So that's always something to keep in mind too. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting that you bring that up because that's essentially the issue that we went, ran into with the lake house. So we, um, we have been on the look for a lake house. We wanted it right on the water and anything by the water, there's going to be potentially more moisture in like, this is Maine. Like, you know, like there's a lot of moss, like, can you picture it? There's, you know, like there's like pine cones and moss and you're on the lake. It's, it can be damp. Um, and we, when you walked downstairs, there's a finished basement. When you walk downstairs, there was like a little smell. I've got a nose. They call me the hound dog. And I was like, mm, that's a little bit of a musty smell. And everyone was like, you, it's a basement by a lake. Like it's going to be musty. Um, but I'm like, I'm not trying to buy a house with a mold problem because I, because of the work that we do, Number one, I'm not trying to have ongoing health problems or give them to my family. But number two, mold remediation is not inexpensive. So I just didn't want to take on that project. We're not project people. Okay. Like we don't, like if a light bulb goes out in my house, I'm like, I guess we'll just never use that light again. We're not, we're not project people. So I was not trying to get a house that had this huge project. So the first, the, the first thing that we did um, was to do an ERMI test. And we'll talk about testing and stuff like, because there's different ways to test. You can test the building, but then you can also test your body. So we'll talk about both of those. So I did an ERMI test to test the building that came back pretty atrocious. It was like very bad. I was about to walk and say no. Um, but I kind of did the ERMI test wrong where you're not supposed to do window cells because if windows are open, of course there's mold species from outside and they can kind of like get on the windows. So didn't know that I did it wrong. Um, but then we had an actual mold inspector come in and he tested everything outside, inside, up, down, left and right. And it was, it was pretty, pretty fine. There was more mold in the basement, but it matched the exact species as outside. But the issue was the humidity because there was no, um, there was no humidity control. So the humidity was at 70% down in the basement, which is like prime mold real estate. And so the recommendation is that you want your humidity in your house under 60% 
ideally it's like actually like 30 to 50%. So that's just something to be aware of. There's a lot of like, um, like, you know, like the temperature gauges in the house, what are they called? You know, like where you, yeah, yup, that's it. That's what we call them. Um, but some of the new ones actually will tell you the percent, like the humidity percent in your house. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something to just be aware of. And if you know that your basement tends to hold on to moisture, and I'm not talking about over flooding or anything like that, because that's a horse of a different color. But if you know that your basement or any rooms in your house, um, hold on to moisture, take that pretty seriously. What we ended up doing is getting a, like a really heavy duty, dehumidifier. It was like a thousand dollar humidifier. It was like professional grade. I'll actually link up the exact one because it came from uh, a mold professional is who recommended it. So I'll link that up. And once we installed that, it was like a dream. It's dry as a bone down there. So the humidity, like the, the humidity in your house absolutely can create kind of like a moldy situation. So something to be aware of. And that's like an, a pretty easy fix too. You know, like when we start talking about like mold behind sheetrock and like burst pipes and flooding and stuff, you know, yikes. But sometimes it's a really easy fix is like, just get a really solid uh, dehumidifier. Mm-hmm. And even like run the fans in your bathroom for longer than you think to after a shower. That can be so easy. I feel like a lot of people, they shower in a bathroom that's attached to their bedroom. They shower, they turn the lights off and then they leave for the day. And it's like, you're just fostering an environment for that to kind of grow. Um, And that can be another clue, right? Like, do you spend time in a home or an office with dampness problems? Like, do you see obvious mold like in your shower or under the sink? Start by just like turning the fan on, cleaning the bathroom (laughs) if possible, if it's realistic. Um, And then like, keep your eye on things. Like I can share my sophomore year of college. We didn't know any better. My roomies and I, we lived in a home where um, we had a shared bedroom and the wall that our beds were pressed up against, that our pillows were up against every night in the winter months just got a little like damp. It got a little weird. That that was probably a little too obvious knowing what I know now. Um, and I had a textbook on my desk that was pressed really close to the window. And after the window winter months ended, the pages of my book were like rippled. They were, it was like, it was so damp in there that the the pages rippled or do you know what rainbow sandals are? The like leather flip-flops are big. Um, My rainbow sandals were pressed up under my desk, almost to the wall over the winter. And they looked like they had been like wet all winter, like probably not a good idea for us to be sleeping next to that. And it was crazy because like reflecting back, that's the year that my allergies got so much worse. And I just attributed that to like in San Luis Obispo, everyone's like, oh, the allergies allergens are so bad here. I'm like, it must be California. No, it was, it was probably mold. We never tested that home, but yeah. Um, we, when we lived across the street from the beach, this is the house that I was, that I was pregnant in. Um, so, you know, like nine years ago we moved out. So it's a very, it's like a beach house, right? Like salty air all the time. When we moved out, I like went into the back of my closet and pulled out my old shoes. Like there was like leather shoes and they had growth on them. And we pulled up the, and I didn't know about, like, at this point I was like, oh, this is crazy. But I wasn't like, this is really bad. But I pulled up the rug in our bedroom and it literally had just like mildew all oh. underneath it. Yeah. So this, it's just, you know, these are, this is happening to like us. So like, it's probably happening to a lot of people too. So it's just something to be aware of and conscientious of. Um, and there are certain things you can do to clean. And then there's certain things that, you know, 
probably a little bit more intense than that. And I, I just, I think that, um, mold is not always visible either. And that's, I, I had a client who was really, really, really sick. And we like a lot of histamine issues, a lot of autoimmune issues, and just kind of struck me as a moldy gal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she, her husband, she communicated this with her husband. She lived in an old house and he brought in somebody who he knew that just came in and looked around and was like, nope, no mold here. Um, but because of her symptoms, we kind of persisted, like, let's actually do a mycotox test. Let's actually get the home tested with, with an ERMI test to start. And sure enough, there was, there was mold everywhere. So you can't always see it, which is like, that's another thing that kind of like can pour gasoline on the health anxiety fears, because you can definitely start to be like, oh my God, it could be, it could be here, you know, but, but it's an important thing to note. You don't always see visible mold growth. Um, but what would be primary signs? Like how would you know to suspect mold growth, mold growth in your home? What are the more obvious signs? Definitely like condensation on surfaces or structures like windows or walls, kind of like I mentioned, of course, visible mold. Um, I say a moldy odor, but it's not always that obvious. Like um, some clues, some people who are a little bit more sensitive, they will smell their towel after it's only been used once or twice. It's been in the bathroom, like air drying as it should be. And they smell it and they're like, this just smells very mildewy. That That's not always 100% of the time indicative that your home has mold, but it can be kind of a context clue that we'll look for. Um, you know, if your AC isn't maintained regularly, that can be a risk factor or just like the very basics of histories of water damage, whether that's leaks on the outside, a wet basement or like a, a musty smelling basement, um, leaking plumbing. Like sometimes people will rent a place. They're like, oh yeah, there's that weird spot in the corner of my room. That's a little Brown. Like maybe we should get that looked into also. Yeah. And this isn't something just, we had one of those weird spots. We had a leak in our roof a few years ago, so we got a whole new roof, but I had insurance, like an insurance guy come in and he was like, looked up and he's like, yeah, there's nothing we're going to do about a spot on the wall. So this isn't always stuff that's covered by insurance either. This is like when it can start to get, to get expensive, which is, which is fun. So if you suspect mold, maybe you have like some of those symptoms or those signs, and maybe there's like some sketchy spots that you see in your house, what are ways that you can test the home? So I know you mentioned the ERMI, um, the ERMI can be great. And the disclaimer with the ERMI is typically if you are testing um, every room or each room that you use, you need a different ERMI cloth for it. Like if you go and wipe around every single room with a single ERMI cloth and it comes back positive, we won't know which one it is, what what room is a concern. Um, So ERMIs can be great. Immunolytics, they make like a culture that you can do. I want to clarify, this is not like the gold standard way to assess for mold, but this can be a little bit more budget friendly, low cost way just to see, you send it off to the lab, they send you an interpretation just to like rule out, you know, do we want to take this a step further? Maybe have a building biologist come in or like a professional. And if there is a real concern about the mold, that's where I'm recommending a building biologist, like bring a professional in to figure out like what needs to happen, what is going on. When, I mean, 
And if this is something you guys are interested in, please DM us and let us know because we can bring on a building biologist. We can bring on somebody who kind of like specializes in this. We're going to now transition more into like what to do, what to do for your body because that's our wheelhouse. Um, but if you want to learn more about like about all of this, just let us know and we can absolutely bring somebody on. Um, so there, that was how to test for the home. What are your favorite ways to test the body? And actually, let me back up a step. What do you prefer to start with? If you're working with a client and you're like, I think there might be mold, do you start by testing the house or do you start by testing the human? I'm a fan of testing the human from the perspective of like, let's get some clinical data before you might spend an upwards of a thousand dollars to have a professional come out and look at your home. Um, and it, it depends on a case by case basis. So like we spoke about, if our patients need to work a lot on the foundations, you know, we need their gut health in check. We need a lot of um, systems working well before we can begin a mold detox plan. Um, we'll typically start with testing there, but there's a screening tool that I'll use sometimes. It's from Shoemaker. He has a lot of great like mold treatment protocols and education that he's created. It's called the VCS test. It's a visual contrast sensitivity test. And you do it online. It's relatively cheap. I want to tell you it's like $25 to $30. And I do want to clarify it's not mold specific. So if you fail the test, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have mold. It, it means that you have, there's a high likelihood that you have this chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And so if that, if you fail that, and I'm on the fence about, do we want to test? Um, that a failed test can lead us to further testing. And that's where um, I use a lot of the mycotox profile in our clinical work with patients. It's through mosaic diagnostics. It's a urine test. So this is actually looking at like, what is the body excreting and detoxifying actively. So we always kind of interpret those test results with a grain of salt, knowing what's going on in their health history. Um, and then I should mention, it's really important to know if someone suspects mold, if we are pretty positive, they do have mycotoxin illness. It's really important to know what species of mold you might be affected by. So that can guide treatment. Yeah, that's, I, I had um, this client of mine ended up going to work with a naturopath and that the naturopath heard mold and immediately put her on a binder, which is not a bad idea, especially when you don't have more data. But I'm like, because you have the test to back up and show like what specific strains or species or I guess, is that what they're called? Species of mycotoxins? Um, because we have that data, we want to use it to our advantage because certain, mm -hmm. um, it's just important if you can afford a test, if you can, if you're working with a practitioner, um, that's really good, helpful information to know because then the practitioner can direct the treatment based on what's actually in your body and help to get it out. Um, so with that said, and also I want to, I, one of my mentors, I'm trying, this was like so many years ago, but he said, and, and I quote, um, the only go-to that I have for mold is Richie Shoemaker. Everything else is flaky and shaky. I don't, it's just like one of those things that's always stuck in my head. So Shoemaker, like at, his rep website is very robust. Um, and that's where you can get that test. I'll, we'll make sure to link it up in the show notes. Um, I will say kind of what Rachel said years ago, I did that test. 
um, when I would just had a lot of health stuff going on and I failed it. It wasn't because I had mold. I just had so much going on that my body was like, help, help. Um, so it doesn't, it's not like proof positive that you have mold, but it's a good indication that you should do some further investigative research on what's going on with you for sure. Okay, I want to talk to you about moringa, which is a plant that can give us a green powder. And I've known the benefits for moringa for a while. It has a lot of protein, vitamin A, potassium, calcium, vitamin C, iron. It's a pretty powerful and potent little plant. I couldn't get past the taste. I would buy bags of it, just not really know what to do with it. I love me some like dirt flavor. I'll drink matcha tea all day long, but the moringa, I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. The good news is that you can get all the benefits of Moringa without like the weird taste in Organifi's green juice. So you can go with their original blend, which has kind of a minty taste, or with their brand new green juice crisp apple blend, which tastes mm, just like apples. Organifi's green juice also has other green superfoods like spirulina and chlorella, as well as ashwagandha, a really nice adaptogenic herb that helps to balance out cortisol levels in the body. If you want to try some, and I think you should, head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk to save 20% off of your order. Are you trying to get healthier? Maybe you want to eat better or move your body more, but you struggle with willpower, productivity, or focus. If so, I've got you. My brand new sponsor, Neurohacker, combines 28 of their most research-backed nootropic ingredients in their ultimate brain fuel formula called Qualia Mind. It's been changing people's lives for years now. It's been changing mine for a few months, which is why I called them up and say, hey, do you want to sponsor the show? I love what your product is doing for my brain. Qualia Mind has really helped my focus, my mood, my willpower, my drive. I love it. All the ingredients really work in synergy with one another to support optimal brain function pathways, and you will feel it. If you don't, you can get your money back. Try it for 100 days, and if it doesn't work, if you're not totally stoked, get your money back. See what it can do for your mind. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash funk to save $100 off and 15% off of your first purchase when you use code funk. That's neurohacker.com forward slash F-U-N-K to try Qualia Mind with the code funk. So let's talk treatment strategies. If somebody's dealing with mold, what do we do? Um, we know that we can reverse the changes caused by mycotoxin illness. But with that being said, the earlier we catch it, the better. Um, kind of like if you're living in a moldy environment for a month versus five years, you know, you're just going to have more inflammation. It's going to deplete your nutrients. It's going to be harsher on your liver for longer. Um, first and foremost, in, real, in order to really treat the root cause, we need to treat the exposure. We need to like get you out of the home or remediate the home. We need to address the environment first and foremost. Totally. Um, it's like the same, you know, like you can't heal in the same environment that you got sick. I've said that a hundred times if I've said it once, but I also want to say, we'll focus on the mold thing here, but I've worked with enough people to say that that goes for all environments. It's not just the house. Also think about like, what's the lived, what's your lived situation in that house? Um, this includes relationships or perhaps like workplace, career. You know, sometimes a lot of people get exposed to mold and they're perfectly fine. Some people live in a very moldy house 
and they're healthy as an ox. So we also want to think about other things that could be contributing to it. My mom, I've told this story before, she had chronic Lyme. She was in a wheelchair. She was bedridden for years. She left a marriage and poof, she got a lot better. So these things are things to be explored. And I say that because I think that the type of people, um, or the, you know, the, the people that we see with chronic ongoing health challenges, sometimes it's as simple as like, I'm living in a moldy house. We get rid of the mold or we move and everything gets better. If that's not the case for you, if you're, if you've been doing all of these strategies, if you've done all of these things, there, there might be something deeper going on. One of my mentors said that, uh, the energy of mold is kind of like old stagnant stuff. And this is obviously very anecdotal and personal to me. This summer, I was dealing with like a lot of super weird health things. Like I just, it didn't make sense. It was really weird. I couldn't figure it out. And I had the issue with the lake house. I was like, oh, that's like a moldy thing. What's up? And then, like you said, the ACs, our, one of our ACs hadn't been cleaned and it like smelled like mold. I was like, get that thing out of here. <laughs> and then I looked in my washing machine, which is a front loader washer, which are very mold prone, but we've had it for nine years. We've never had an issue. It was like covered in mold. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> like there's been three potential mold exposures. What is going on? And I was currently, or at the time I was working on some very old, outdated, stagnant beliefs about myself and behaviors associated with that. So it was almost like the mold fear came in. I learned the lesson. I took the medicine from the lesson. I moved through it and the mold went away. And, you know, obviously it's not that simple, but we have to think, we have to think beyond just like the physical stuff sometimes, mm -hmm. especially for ongoing chronic health challenges. So I will float that out there in case somebody needs to hear it. Um, but let's go to like actual physical body stuff. What can we, what can we do to get mold out of the body? Um, well, and it's all related too. So we think about like detoxification and we think about drainage and like not to sound cheesy, but with a mold detox, we also want to like detox life, like move through, process our emotions and things like that. And many patients, when we're starting to work on detox work, work on drainage, they start to see an uptick in emotions as well. We're pushing the liver. Are we like releasing emotions? Not to sound too hippy dippy woo woo, but sometimes people two to three weeks into their mold treatment, they're like, I'm feeling weepy. I'm like feeling so reactive and so sensitive. And so on a related note, I just wanted to throw that out there too. Um, but starting with mold treatment, drainage is really, really foundational. And so a lot of times when people talk about detoxification, um, I think it's really important to differentiate between detoxification and drainage. So detoxification is the process of taking a toxic compound, packaging it up into a less toxic compound that can then be excreted from the body. And drainage is how do we actually get that stuff those toxins out of the body. Um, so drainage, I think about peeing, pooping, and sweating. Those are really, really foundational. And so a lot of what I recommend in practice is a castor oil pack. Castor oil pack will increase blood flow and lymphatic flow to the liver and the gallbladder. I think about sweating regularly. Honestly, mycotoxins have been shown to be excreted through the sweat. Sauna use is more effective for certain types of mold than others, but honestly, people with mycotoxin illness typically feel so much better when they get themselves into a sauna. Um, hot yoga can be like a good solution if you don't have access to a sauna. 
Um, I recommend a lot of hot baths with Epsom salts if possible, dry brushing, lymphatic massage. We also need to make sure that you're having a daily bowel movement. If you're not pooping daily, you are not excreting and just moving those toxins out throughout your body. So that's where I say sometimes like gut work and gut support is very foundational. We need to make sure that's in check before like going into a deep mold treatment plan also. So like in terms of order of operations, if somebody's dealing with mold stuff, you would, would you do run like a stool test or would you just be, Probably. yeah, yeah. Probably. Um, just to make sure we're not missing anything. Definitely want to make sure we're getting their bowels moving daily. Um, foundationals, like let's make sure you're chewing your foods well, eating enough fiber, um, eating in a relaxed state, that your stress is in check, that your blood sugar is balanced. Um, but we need you pooping daily. Like that's foundational. If we ramp up all of this liver detoxification work and you're not having a daily bowel movement, you're probably going to feel worse because then we're stirring up all these toxins that are you can't get out. Um, so yeah, we need a daily bowel movement 100%. And then taking that a step further, liver support, we want to give the liver lots of TLC. So really limiting alcohol, arguably no alcohol, limiting endocrine disrupting chemicals, high fructose corn syrup, really anything that is harsh on the liver, we want to limit or avoid to the best of our ability. Um, and so the thought process is when we think about detox, it's mainly happening in the liver. And there are two phases. Uh, the first phase takes this toxic compound and it creates, they're called intermediary metabolites, but these toxic compounds get converted into compounds that are actually more toxic. And then the liver goes through phase two detox, which takes this more toxic compound and it converts it into something that can be excreted. And phase two, step two, is heavily influenced by genetics. It requires a ton of nutrients, a ton of calories, a ton of protein. And so the ironic thing here is, you know, there's all those like New Year's detox cleanses, juice cleanses, support your liver. By going on a juice cleanse or a smoothie cleanse, you're probably actually restricting all of these nutrients and all of these things that your liver actually needs to do that detox work. Um, and again, heavily influenced by genetics. And so that's where sometimes doing some of the foundational work to get inflammation lowered can be really foundational in a mold treatment plan. But you've got to eat. <laughs> in order gotta to eat. You know, and like something like a juice cleanse, for example, that, you know, so much of um, detoxification is driven by amino acids too. And we, we derive those from protein. So protein can be really helpful to support overall liver health and detoxification. And so like a, something like a juice cleanse, it might be easier on your digestion. It can give your digestion a break because you're removing the fibers, but it's like, it's not really giving your liver and your detoxification organs, the nutrients that they actually need to drive, uh, to drive detoxification. So that's just like something to, I mean, it's a, it's an important point. And also I want to back up to when you were talking about a daily bowel movement, because there might be some people who struggle with ongoing constipation. And if you can't get that moving and you're attempting to do something like um, mold, any type of detoxification, mold clearance, or even like a GI protocol, uh, getting colonics can be very, very helpful. And if that's out of 
either the budget or you just don't have somebody that's available doing an at-home enema. Um, water enema or coffee enema can also be really, really helpful to just make sure that you're moving moving the bowels. Because like Rachel said, if you're not doing that, chances are you're going to feel a lot worse when we start to like move, you know, drive the detoxification. Um, how about any like specific foods that you're a fan of? Um, I'm a big fan of like whatever we can do to support bile. So your liver produces bile, stores it in the gallbladder, and it releases this um, during the digestive process. It's really helpful to break down fats, but bile is also one of the ways that we remove toxins from the body. So we want that bile free flowing. Um, so any bitter foods like arugula, um, ginger can be great, whether that's ginger tea. I have like a jar of like pickled ginger like that you would have with sushi that I eat sometimes. <laughs> um, beets can really thin the bile, dandelion root tea. And there's like so many different supplements that you can do to support bile as well, like digestive bitters, silmarin, milk thistle, things like that too. And then you had mentioned binders before. Let's talk a little bit about that and how that helps. Um, so the way that I think about binders is they're typically part of a treatment plan for mold. We're not just giving binders, but they can be a great starting point. So for some of my patients where we are concerned that they are living in a home with mold, I'll get them started on just like a very foundational binder, maybe like an activated charcoal, just as an effort to offset any absorption or like negative health effects that they may get from the environment while they're still in it. Um, but this is where testing is really key because certain molds or certain mycotoxins are only responsive to certain binders. So if you're just taking like a generic mold, you know, treatment plan um, or an activated charcoal, that may not be checking all of your boxes. That's why I think it can be so helpful to test for what specific mycotoxins are in the body and what you're getting exposed to. Shoemaker has great protocols and recommendations for this as well. Um, and then do you do you find that, like, let's say you just, you suspect mold and you get somebody started on binders. Is, is that enough to help somebody start to feel better? Or do you really, where, like, do you see any improvements with just binders? I guess is my question. Sometimes it really depends. Um, yeah. I have a patient. So for instance, she was living in a home. Um, she moved out of her home, did a mycotoxin profile and it was positive. And we were fairly certain it was from the home that she had just moved out of. And I got her on a binder while we were working on some of the other stuff. Like I just got her on a, a charcoal binder and she was like, oh my gosh, night and day difference. She felt so much better starting it. Some people you start them on a binder and they're like, hmm, not much is going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, people swear by binders and I, it's in, in some people notice no difference. So I was curious what you thought there. And then how about the mitochondria? So everyone knows mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Um, it's where our bodies produce a lot of our energy. And we can kind of start to think about this like a chicken or an egg scenario when we think about toxins and mitochondria. Um, but we need our mitochondria working well in order to perform detoxification. At the same time, toxins interfere with how our mitochondria work. And so that's why so many people with toxicity, whether it's mold or other toxin exposure, just have this fatigue and it can be very difficult to do some of these lifestyle strategies like go to the sauna, take a bath, dry brush, hot yoga when you're just feeling so depleted. And so that's where we always want to be mindful about, you know, circadian rhythm support, red light therapy can be really therapeutic. Um, spending time outside to support our mitochondria. Sometimes we'll bring in 
Sometimes I'll bring in certain nutraceuticals or herbs that can be helpful for the mitochondria too, but that is a really important consideration as well. And that you said something important. I have seen some really intense detoxification protocols and you kind of have to get your body prepared for something like that. That that can make somebody feel a lot worse if it's not done in a thoughtful and strategic way. And so I, you know, I, I believe that we all have the capacity to heal. I believe that we can take, you know, take, make a lot of effort to heal ourselves and to DIY some of our health. I don't want it to be out of reach and off limits for, for people, but when we're dealing with like our intense health challenge or even health crisis to put somebody on like this hardcore detox protocol, like it it just, I've seen that go south really, really, really fast. And so just be mindful of that. Sometimes we have to get the body almost like stable enough or sturdy, resilient enough to withstand a detoxification protocol. So if you're working with a practitioner, make sure that that they're being gentle enough and kind of tiptoeing your way in and, and understand that. I think that's that's a big deal. Um, and then with with detoxification and mitochondria, and something we haven't touched on yet is the need for antioxidants too. Mm-hmm. Do okay. you do you like to go like diet with that supplements? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Um, I have seen a lot of patients who have been put through detox strategies or protocols, and diet isn't even touched on. And of course, very foundationally, we need your high fiber foods, fruits and vegetables. You know, we want to, again, keep the bowels moving. Um, But at the same time, your brightly colored fruits and vegetables are a great source of antioxidants. You know, we have seen that bioflavonoids have been shown to break down mycotoxins. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Matcha can be a really therapeutic part of a treatment plan as well. It's just so packed with antioxidants. Um, and then we also want to make sure we're replacing minerals that are lost during the detox process. If you're taking a binder, that's going to strip your body from minerals, um, inflammation and stress. You're going to burn through your minerals more rapidly. And then of course, sweat. And so we've been using HTMAs a little bit more in our practice as well, hair tissue, mineral analyses, um, which can be a great way to also support our patients, but we want to make sure antioxidants, lots of fiber, lots of minerals to cover our bases. Yeah. Get all the, um, get all the colors in all of the time. That's something that you can absolutely DIY is just tweaking the diet. Um, it's the foundational work that we need to do. And then, so that's kind of like how to address the mold, how to help to get it out of the body, assuming that you're changing the environment, right? Cause it's, it's very hard to heal and clear mold out of the body. If you're getting ongoing exposure, um, but what about if somebody's just dealing with a lot of symptoms? Is there any way to maybe, you know, we want to make sure that we're addressing the problem, but is there a way to alleviate symptoms and manage symptoms while somebody's dealing with this? Definitely. So we have to remember that like mast cells release histamines and other compounds in response to triggers like mold. And so we want to address, we want to stabilize the mast cells and we want to make sure that, like you mentioned, the histamine bucket is as empty as possible. So we want to address fungal overgrowth if it is present. We can do this with herbals or like prescription antifungals, depending on who they're working with. We need to make sure that the gut is in a good space because if you have an overabundance of bad bacteria, those can be histamine producers and make you a lot more uh, symptomatic. Having low beneficial bacteria species can be a contributing factor to this. 
And then we really need to be mindful about alcohol intake and sugar intake as well, because sugar can feed fungal overgrowth yeast. And then alcohol is just a his, it's high histamine. It releases histamine in the body as well. What about like moldy, like food that is, um, like is con- that has mold commonly on it? Well, I can't, I can't talk right now. Like um, peanut butter, for example. Yeah. Foods high in mold antigens. There we basically. go. Yes. So like, um, the most common ones are, well, of course, like fermented foods being mindful of that, but really like a lot of like nuts and seeds and grains, um, Sometimes patients can do well by storing them in the fridge or the freezer. That can be really helpful. Um, obviously, not no one's ever really intentionally eating moldy food, but you know sometimes people are like, "I'm going to cut that little piece of mold off. Maybe just toss it." <laughs> that can be really helpful too. Um, yeah, that can be a biggie. Okay, um, I feel like there's like some there's mixed uh, evidence on whether or not that actually makes a huge difference. You know, there are some, some foods like grains, for example, nuts and seeds, like you said, they're more, uh, they're more likely to have mold growth on them. Peanuts Mm -hmm. is a big one just because of the way that they're grown. And some people are like, absolutely not on a mold protocol. And some people are like, "Eh, it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Or like ketchup. Um, I found that that sometimes creates more stress, more harm than good. If someone's like extremely reactive, I think we have other work to do than like focusing on putting your rice in the fridge. (laughs) Fair. Um, And then other ways to just decrease that overall histamine bucket to make somebody feel better. Um, So we know that there's a lot of genes that influence how we clear histamine out of the body. And so DAO is an enzyme that can help to decrease histamine in the gut. Um, there are other genes like COMT or HNMT, which are methylation genes, sometimes bringing in methylation support, whether that's by taking methylated B complex or a magnesium or CME can be really therapeutic. Eating a diet high in choline, like plenty of eggs can help support methylation. Um, there's another enzyme, it's aldehyde dehydrogenase, which plays an important role in clearing histamine. Some people, when they drink alcohol, when they get really flushed, really red, that glow, um, molybdenum can help to break that or can help to support that clearance and that breakdown of histamines in the body as well. Um, And like a very foundational thing that people can do is like bring in nettle tea or nettle infusions or supplement with quercetin. Uh, That can be really therapeutic as well. Awesome. So I think that this was a robust episode. If you are listening to this and you suspect mold, you want to work with a practitioner, um, I will include the link in the show notes to our one-on-one services. Like I said, Rachel sees a lot of of moldy people. (laughs) So if you're one of them and you want her help, uh, definitely apply to work with us and hopefully we can get you started feeling better. But thank you so much for being here, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.